Satatuata is an EU-based label and distribution for harsh noise, industrial, and experimental sounds. The online distro is located at satatuata.net, providing regular updates of new releases and offering worldwide shipping. That's satatuata, S-A-T-A-T-U-H-A-T-T-A, dot net. It's good to be able to catch you here. Body Carve. You have a new album that just came out on Chondritic Sound a number of days ago just now. And I want to catch up with you because you're an artist that I've always enjoyed, followed, but your, your catalog is few and far between, which is an interesting you know, decision contrary to what a lot of people choose to do. Yeah. Tell me about this album. What happened between your last release and now? When Gray hit me up and kind of wanted to do an album, I kind of felt like I had to work on something a little bit more fleshed out and something that wasn't just, you know, two tracks of a similar theme. I kind of felt like I wanted to work on something that was broader and maybe even experiment past some of my comfort areas. And so that's, I think, kind of what ended up resulting. But I kind of had been thinking about, you know, decomposition as you know probably be expected in my project and I think uh, Grant had sent me some information about uh, William Basinski's disintegration loops just kind of this long slow decay kind of slow breakdown over an album and I wanted to kind of use material even if it had broken so uh, some of my gear in the process started to wear down or break um, I'm pretty good about degaussing and demagnetizing my tape machines and trying to wipe and uh, I guess erase all of my tapes before I re-record on them and this time I decided not to so I also used a, a source tape that had some disintegration sounds or some kind of crumbling textures um, that I basically used all the way throughout and recorded over and so uh, with kind of desoldering some of the erase heads I kind of just like was getting more and more kind of dirty sound and kind of more like it wasn't erasing completely and so I think it kind of captured a bit of that this kind of breaking down the sound especially by the end by the final track um, a lot of the I had a tape machine and two microphones that were broken and so they just kind of kept sputtering out um, I had to add a new piece of gear I hadn't been using as much because I couldn't get the sound to go through on the tape anymore because it just was like a bit too muddy and so something to cut through a little bit more and just kind of long slow dirge of texture and scrap metal rusting and blasting and kind of breaking down so i hear a really strong mania influence on the album can that be said as accurate yeah for sure i mean as always um you know i've always loved mania and been really inspired by him and just, you know, using those kinds of that static fuzz and kind of clanging, overdriven junk metal sound, for sure. The conceptual works that you employed on Guts and Red Plastic, for example, were really visceral and hands-on and dangerous. Has any of that worked its way, like the physical source or concepts into this album? Not as much besides just myself. This wasn't as much of a 
an exploration in in you kind of those kinds of visceral body sounds uh, as much of more of just kind of thinking about all kinds of decay and decomposition, whether it be organic or chemical. And, you know, the album artwork, which, you know, I worked with Grant on a little bit, it was a further delving into kind of breakdown and decomposition just in different forms, you know, blood and steel and how kind of, you know, iron oxides can kind of mix and coagulate in different ways. Tell me about how you made the artwork more specifically. I basically had some pig's blood and four metal sheets that um, I went to Grant's place and he kind of cut them up. And we used the blood and kind of different chemicals and kind of mixed things around. You know, that was one night and I took them home and I buried them in the backyard for a few days. Um, so they're still kind of wet and covered in blood. When I dug them up, it just, the look was disgusting. The look on the, look on the artwork for the most part is that when I write, right when I dug them up, because it was the nastiest time. It's just kind of, the blood looked a little kind of just wet and chunky. It was dirt and soil and there were parts that were rusted and parts that were just still some of the blood was red and then it's hard to tell what was blood and what was rust at that point which I think is a nice kind of uh, analogy almost for the project in general and I'd kind of wanted to like take the photos and manipulate them but in the end I felt like the raw photos high quality photos just did it justice and uh, Grant and I in the process kind of probably took about I don't know, over a thousand photos um, just you know different different shots and stuff so with such a long pause between this album and your previous album what do you see for the future I'd like to do another album um, I have a collaboration still with slit throats I have to work on um, I got some red plastic uh, reissue is still you know untouched and um, hopefully in motion who's doing that well right now the plan is found remains um, and, you know, we'll see what happens, but I've talked to a couple harsh heads about doing a couple remixes, and that's, you know, tentatively working. I just have to kind of, now that this album's done, I think I can kind of switch gears and mental focus on possibly doing that, the Slit Throats collab, and just, you know, kind of getting back to the grind of maybe doing some splits and some tapes, and I still like to self-release. Um, so, yeah. Anything on the docket for Gutter Bloat? I still have a Pain Apparatus Master C40. It's so fucking crushing. And I'm just ashamed to admit that I've been sitting on it for a long time. I have another uh, master um, for the Project Suktig that I haven't done. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. Still hasn't come out. And I just need to kind of wrap up artwork and finish the dubbing. But yeah, especially that Pain Apparatus tape. It's just, uh, I mean, they just get better and better. And the last uh, split I heard from them was so good. And this thing's just brutal, scrap blasting static. You know, I've got to get it out so people can hear it. All right, N. Desua, thank you for sitting down with me for a few minutes here live at Tourniquet in Minneapolis. Let's go uh, get in the mix. Yeah, let's go.
So what it was originally is a, um, a monthly installment at a place called the Kitty Cat Club in Minneapolis, which is in the college area of town. Um, but it was kind of gothy, dim lit, couches everywhere, candles with wax dripping around and um, kind of a laissez-faire attitude. Uh, definitely was okay with weird stuff and Ryan Olcott was doing sound there um, who played our last tourniquet here. Oh really? He's, um, still, he's still rocking. Yeah, I asked he was, I always thought he was such a great sound guy. Yeah, best, yeah. He was so, um, it was just a really good formula. The venue was accommodating and, and it worked really well. Um, it was a good atmosphere and it was a, it was a monthly thing and sometimes scenes need that. It, it gets everyone in the same room. If people aren't touring here in the winter, you know, um, it meant a lot to a lot of people. So Kevin wanted to keep it going, but he, he, I think he got burned out. He was really, really, um, he was overbooking. Everyone knew him as a guy who would book anything you asked him to book. And he didn't, I think he just did too much and kind of wanted to take a step back. I can't speak for him, but um, that's kind of where he was. But he didn't want the, he didn't want that to end the a series that meant a lot to a lot of people. There was also other people than Kevin that had big, um, big parts in it. There'd be like five experimental acts originally, and then there was a DJ side of it. So there was a DJ that Right. It was curated. Yeah, that's right. Nina would be rocking the DJ or maybe Bill. It was like a, ha you know, DJ nights, five bands. Kevin came from and remains part of more of a, like a freaky jazz experimental side of the scene. And is very, is very, um, uh, I don't know how to say it other than he's he's um, he's focused locally. He's not focused on what's happening uh, nationally or internationally. Um, so what the the shows were, um, you know, really focused around you know a super eclectic mix with our kind of formula that he made, where there would be a a new person to the series, someone who hadn't performed maybe ever in that setting, uh, maybe a draw band, someone who's at every show and wants to take their turn. Uh, and it was a good formula. It got, it got people who don't come out as much into the room. It got people who, who were maybe hesitant to start playing. Um, it gave them a, a, a stage and an opportunity to do so. Um, it was a really, it's a really good formula, and when he passed it off in my direction, um, that's that's the maintained idea. So the attempt is to have a person who hasn't performed in the series play at every every month, along with whatever. I, on the other hand, am more focused on. Um, beyond what's the local scene. So there's touring acts integrated and that really dictates how things are booked. Um, so say someone is coming into town, we have a custodian from Milwaukee next month with Michael Jurek's project. 
Um, I'm sorry, I'm spacing on it. Um, they'll be here next month, so the booking is going to be dictated by that. Um, How often are you able to line that up? Because I mean, if it's it's a, it's a set, it's a set day each month, right? Yeah. So it's so serendipitous. Yeah. Honestly, it's like so when lockdown COVID happened, the venue that we were at closed permanently and has yet to reopen. That's why we're at a, at a new place. I'd say like the last eight months, someone would reach out and say, hey, I'm on tour. They wouldn't know anything about the series. And they would say, hey, I'm on tour. I'll be here. Um, it used to be the third Monday of the month. And they'll be like, hey, I'll be here like March, whatever. And it happened to I would just like glance at the calendar and it'd be like, yo. <laughs> I can't pay you an exorbitant amount of money, but we do have funds and we do have income from the show. It's a free show at that old spot, but we got a bar cut. So bands would get, touring acts would get about a hundred bucks or 75 to a hundred bucks, maybe more. And the locals understood that this is, you know, we're paying the touring bands. Um, but what Kevin set up with that was really awesome is a kind of a rolling fund. So it was called the it's Tourniquet, the Noise Slush Fund, and shows that didn't have touring acts, which were more numerous when he was booking, uh, he would ask every participant if they wanted to either get paid out, this is how much you get paid out, or you could give it to the next guy, or pay it forward and they'll go to a touring act, um, a, a future show bailout where, where a touring act comes and no one shows up. We can pay them a hundred bucks. Big fests. Um, there's money to throw around um, specifically for our, that directly benefit touring artists. Um, so we're trying to bring that sort of back. We've got a little fun going now. What are the challenges of doing that on a regular basis? Of, of like operating tourniquet? Yeah. Um, it's the, the challenges are minimized when the venue is set and you don't have to, the hardest part here right now is establishing a venue. It's very hard to book a show in general because a lot of our venues just don't exist anymore. The city is in a really strange place for DIY music. And I think it's taking a cool corner that could be really positive, but it's been difficult to say, book a place that you know you can be at the same time every month and yeah. hold ground and have it actually be a place you wanna be at. I had some help and was booked at the old Big V's, which is now Midway Saloon for the prior four months to being here. And the it was great that it was back, but the vibe was just not like, uh, as chill, yeah. uh, and they don't—they didn't want us there. Yeah. Um, so the venue, I think, is the biggest challenge. It books itself for me, anyways. And I have enough people inquiring about playing. Yeah. Um, flyers are easy. And what's the turnout like? Um, it varies. Um, that's yet to be seen because we just moved back from St. Paul back to Minneapolis. Right. But um, tonight was good. I don't—I didn't get a head count, but. Yeah. And I'm bad at estimating that sort of thing, but um, it was good. There, have, there were probably about 50 people here. Yeah, a lot of the staples, the fixtures yeah. of Tourniquet weren't here, though. So okay. I'm like, 
So I'm like, all right, well, we that's, there's new faces of people I didn't know here at all. It's yeah, like, it's great. Yeah. It's a great sign. It means that there's more fresh blood. Yeah. There's there's people that are interested. There's it's 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 back in it's in Minneapolis again. So it's there's guaranteed to be a different crowd. I biked here today. Yeah, with a mixer in my backpack. Is there a mission or a or a Thing you're trying to achieve with a, a monthly noise series that's that's quite open and, and inviting? Um, kind of just stay true to what Kevin was doing. I think in places like Minneapolis that aren't through cities that touring bands are, are they want to come here. If you're touring and you want to go to Minneapolis it's because you're either on your way to Fargo or you want to be here. That's it. You know, yeah. you're not driving from here to Seattle, or you know, there's what, who are you going to play in you know, Billings or something? Like, there's not a lot for noise, um, or really anything DIY immediately west of us. I mean, there's stuff, but it's 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 the pickings are slim. Yeah. So, cities like Minneapolis need activity to be maintained. They need the pot to be stirred. There's like 10 noise scenes in Minneapolis and they all really very like, yeah, there's another, there's two other, there's two other noise series now that are okay. just very similar to this. There's one at 331 that's like kind of modular focus. Jesse Whitney, who just played tonight, is doing one not far from here um, on Thursdays later in the month or kind of wherever they can get it booked at the white page. Um, but the crossover is less than you would think. To go back, that's another challenge. Yeah. Is kind of unshattering the shattered scene. Mm -hmm. um, Unifying it. Yeah. What do you think would happen if you stopped doing tourniquet next um, month? Someone would do something cool, I think. I mean, there's two, like I said, there's two other, there's two other noise things. I'm interested in one corner of noise. And the other two, the other two um, noise or experimental electronic music, electroacoustic things that are going on monthly, aren't really as closely attached to the you know the scene that I'm focused on. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I hope someone would keep booking. You know. Yeah. Well, like I've been saying, like I've been saying, maybe this isn't the case as much anymore, but. I've always felt like oftentimes local scenes are really kind of carried on the shoulders of like one person who's the one doing so, it. So like Kevin it, stopped. It can, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of responsibility. It can be transferred, but a lot of times when that one person stops, yeah. another person picking it up in that same way is, is tough. And a lot of times the scene will just kind of die in a city because someone either moves away or, or can't or doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to, there's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's enough, there's enough people interested that, but I wonder about touring acts if I were to stop. There was definitely a time where I, if someone, it doesn't matter who it was, you know, wasn't pulling favors. If someone was to want to come through, you know, right before COVID even, I would have and it wasn't on a tourniquet date, I would have been, I, I might have not been able to book them, which right. would which would be wild to me. You know, I've always 
try to do that. But even prior to COVID and other things in Minneapolis, venues were difficult to secure. How do you see Minneapolis developing or evolving in the next five years? Like as Young, a city, as a city. Oh, as a city? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, same, same shit, different pile. <laughs> I don't hate it. I, I, will, I will live here and love it, but it's been weird. I think the separation between classes has been more visible than ever lately. And I think that's, it's visceral. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of racial tension. There's a lot of homelessness and, and kind of pretty deep issues that I think in our liberal city could be driven in <laughs> either direction. Yeah. So it's really hard to say. It could, it could uh, be handled well or terribly, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential for greatness, but there's a lot of uh, poor acting on it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Are you concerned about how the, you know, kind of real world material conditions or cultural conditions of the city will affect, you know, noise or, you know, DIY or art, whatever you want to call it? Like, do you see those closely linked? Um, I think it, I think whenever there's tension and problems, art flourishes, even if it's in the shadows. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. But uh, as far as a community, I don't know. Uh, rotting cities have a lot of potential for spaces. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and a lot cities of like historically good scenes. I mean, like yeah, because of that Detroit. I wonder, if, like, I wonder if Minneapolis could get to that point. Because I mean, I'm just driving around here after being back for so not being back for so long. I see so many what? like empty buildings. Really? Oh, yeah. I guess it's sort of the thing, but the um, the value of them is very high. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, what I'm saying. Like I see the empty buildings. Yeah. I see also the, all the new the ex demand expensive the buildings. Demand. I see these empty buildings. I'm like, this could flip at some point, maybe, and just be like, okay cheap uh, yeah I, I don't see that happening right now or anytime in in a in the relatively near future I feel like around the time of the craft brewery boom um, when all the breweries were bought up and I think Denver experienced the same thing um, but I'm not sure uh, yeah va vacated and easily come by property in industrial areas during like the markets, the housing market dips, either 2008 or like 2012, where everything got snatched up by breweries and people with money, um, be it condos or whatever developers. And the accessibility to those places just is completely, completely flipped. When's the last time we've had a mid-sized DIY venue that was illegal? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, much respect and support for what you're doing here. I think it's great. The show is great tonight. Wish I could be here for Custodian next month. Last time you were in town, you played a trinket. 
not last time, I don't think, but maybe two two but, times ago. Yeah, I did play when I visited at one. Yeah, point. you played one at Dan. I think Dan booked it. Yep, and made the flyer. Yep, exactly. So, harsh noise extravaganza. It was exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anything else you want to mention? Nah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Grant. I'm here right now filming an episode of Noise Cribs at Grant Richardson's compound in Minneapolis. This is his Hex Audio Labs mastering studio, the studio that services the majority of the noise industrial scene. And he's got like three or four other studios going on in this, in this building. And we're shooting an episode of Noise Cribs. He's showing it all to us, giving us the insider scoop. That's gonna be coming to Patreon in a couple weeks. As you guys know, there's the compilation coming out very soon. It's a three CD compilation of artists that have been on the podcast. Um, the final lineup is out. It's about 45 artists, I believe. It'll be a three CD compilation, only available to Patreon supporters. And it'll only go in production once the Patreon reaches 300 paid members. So we're very close. We need a handful more. So if you're not supporting, be sure you sign up now so you can get access to that compilation and support this podcast and keep it going. There's lots of cool stuff on the Patreon. Of course, the Discord server is very active for the Maniac Circle. There's a Jim Haynes album coming out this winter when I come back. A new Trix or the reissue CD. Heavy sponsor, noise feed supporters, get them for free in the mail. That's all for now. Thank you for supporting.